0: may uh, head out for Children's Church out the back and uh, the rest of us can be opening our Bibles to Ecclesiastes I appreciate both of the songs the special music today Uh, David's prayer to uh, to give him peace back into his life and then uh, the Bible stands and uh, aren't we grateful that it does despite man's attempts over the centuries to do away with God's Word to destroy God's Word Uh, God says his word will never be destroyed and we're thankful for that. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes continuing our study there and um We are are looking at, you know, as we've been through uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and chapter 2 and and a good portion of the way into chapter 3, we've been looking at all these attempts by Solomon uh, to try to find fulfillment, uh, peace, joy, happiness here in this life, but he's looking in all these places apart from an eternal focus, apart from a focus on God, and as, as he works his way through all these different attempts to try to find that happiness, that joy, that fulfillment, it keeps coming up empty, he keeps talking about vanity which means emptiness and and uh, and uh, he just keeps he keeps talking about everything's like grasping at the air it's like I'm trying to grasp for something I can't put my hands on to and yet I'm trying to do all these different things I'm trying all these different patterns uh, to 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 try to find happiness and and so you know maybe at this point of of, of of Ecclesiastes Solomon's a little discouraged I don't know exactly what's going on but as we get into chapter 3 and verse 18 today we're gonna find that Solomon has a very low view of mankind. And that's our first point today. Solomon's low view of mankind. That's what he says in verse 18. He says, "...I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts." So what Solomon basically says is he says, I searched in my heart. Now, this is one of the problems. Solomon constantly goes to his own thinking, his own heart, his own mind to try to, to, try to fathom and work out these, these things in his life. And so he says, I searched in my heart. I looked at man, and I determined that man and beast are basically the same thing. Man is no better than a beast. That's what, that's what he's saying. That's what, he's come to this conclusion, he's drawn this conclusion uh, that man and beast are the same. One's no better than the other. Solomon's view of the human race is, is one we find endorsed and propagated in our society today. Our society has literally spent billions of dollars and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours trying to teach people that man is no better than an animal. Man is no better than a common beast. That's what our society tries to teach us through the theory of evolution and the the things that have come along with that over the years uh, that we get this idea that man's no better than a beast. And then we stand shocked when we see the news where man acts like an animal where man acts like a beast and we're stunned by it we're like we're like taken aback by the headlines because we can't understand how could man be this way how could man treat others like this well we've spent a lifetime trying to teach our children through the public school system that hey man and beast are the same thing it's no difference and then we turn around and are shocked when they act the same it's amazing how it works. Phillips, in his commentary, says this. He says, fallen man, free from the restraints imposed by a healthy society and from the hindering work of the Holy Spirit, exhibits all forms of decadence and depravity and indulges in every form of vice and violence. See, folks, man and beast are not the same. We are not the same. All we have to do is go back to the beginning of the Bible to determine that. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. The very beginning of the scripture, Genesis chapter 1, and starting in verse 26, it says this. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our not likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image... And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, folks, in this one passage alone, we solve a lot of the problems of our society today. We find, number one, that man is not on the same level as animal. Man was given dominion over the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom. God said for man to subdue it, to have dominion over it. Now, that doesn't mean we mistreat it, folks, because what God gives us should be precious to us. We ought to take care of it. So I'm all for taking care of of our planet. I'm all for taking care of animals, treating them kindly, not being mean and ugly to them. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But man is on a different level than the animals. And then also in this passage, which isn't even part of our sermon today, but we understand how God set up this earth when it comes to mankind. He created man and woman. And that's it, folks. Now listen, we live in a time frame where people try to tell us there are all these different equations out there today that we can find in society today, folks, but I'm sorry, the science says otherwise. The science says there's man and there's women, and that's it. And so uh, I I don't understand. People always going to cry, follow the science, follow the science, until the science doesn't agree with them, then we don't follow the science anymore. So God said, I've made man. They have dominion over the earth, dominion over the plant kingdom, dominion over the animals, and man and woman, and that makes what we have as a family today. So we solve a lot of problems just here in the story of creation. But it's not just in the story of creation. We can go to Psalm 8. If you turn with me over to just Psalm 8 for a moment. Psalm 8 says this. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen yea and the beasts of the field the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea O Lord our Lord how excellent is thy name in all the earth now folks that's a song of psalm of David Solomon's father so David understood that man has dominion over the animal kingdom that man and animal is not the same thing But Solomon, in this discouraged point at which he finds himself, he has this low view of mankind. And in Solomon's philosophy of men that says, we can end a human life in the womb without consequence, but we go to jail for destroying a turtle's egg. That's Solomon's mindset. That's the mindset of our society today, folks that's a society when when man and animal are put on equal footing or animals actually sometimes put on higher footing than mankind this is where we run into problems in society when man lives separate of an eternal focus his moral compass is destroyed and that's where we find solomon Solomon has been just going through one thing after another after another in Ecclesiastes here. And he's just to to the point. I mean, remember in chapter 2, he says, I hated life. And and, and now we get into chapter 3 here and he says, you know, man's no better than the animal kingdom. He's just discouraged. He's depressed or something. I don't understand exactly what. But his view is not the view from a heavenly perspective. It's not the view from a biblical perspective. Because a biblical perspective says man has dominion over the animals. So let's turn back over into our passage here in Ecclesiastes and continue on. Notice what it says in verse 19. It says, For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath so that a man hath no preeminence above above a beast, for all is vanity. Solomon says, okay, here's the conclusion. This is why I'm stating what I'm stating, because people die and animals die. They all just have breath and then they die. And so man doesn't have any preeminence over an animal. The only difference is, folks, an animal doesn't have a soul, and man does. An animal was created by God, but man was created in the image of God. So there's a, there's a difference between the two. And Psalms, Psalm 8 makes that very clear. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. David penned those words. Paul picks up this idea, too, and makes it pretty clear in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And starting in verse 4, Ephesians 2 and verse 4 says this It says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Listen, folks, man is in a different class than animal. We have a soul, we have an ability to spend eternity with God in heaven someday. But Solomon had this low view of man. And in verse 20, he says, all go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. That was Solomon's view. But then notice what he says in verse twenty-one. He says, "Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of of beast that goeth downward to the earth?" So what Solomon has just made this huge case in his mind for the fact that man and animal are the same. But then he says, "But maybe man goes upward and beast goes downward." So what is Solomon? Maybe, maybe he's being hopeful. I don't know what he's thinking. Why? Why all of a sudden that that these words come come across that 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 puts it somehow different but then right back to verse 22 he says wherefore i perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works for that is his portion for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him so before we move on let's just think about this for a moment solomon is acknowledging some kind of existence beyond this afterlife because he says maybe man goes up and maybe beast goes down so where are they going they 're going somewhere right in his mind so so though he 's been living life absent. Of a godly perspective, absent of an eternal perspective, I think we find Solomon at different points and times during the book of Ecclesiastes is still questioning these things. Is still trying to to figure out in his mind where he really, really, really stands on these things. And that brings us to verse 22, which is our second point of today's message: Solomon's faulty perception. Solomon's faulty perception again. When we try to think through these things on our own apart from God, we come to the wrong conclusions. Folks, we need to bathe the things that we think of when it comes to a godly perspective and a biblical perspective, not just my human understanding. Why? Because Jeremiah 17:9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So when I bathe everything in my own understanding, I'm going to come to a faulty conclusion. And that's exactly what Solomon does. Here's his faulty perception. I perceive that there is nothing better. Nothing better than what? That man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. Solomon says, the best it gets is for me to to rejoice in the works of my own hands. That's as good as it gets. Wow. Wow that's a pretty pathetic view of life (laughs) if the if the if as good as it gets is what I can build with my own hand and there's nothing better than that that that's it so just rejoice in that because it's never ever gonna get better what a sad way to live life that's got to be miserable folks I think back over my life and the works of my hands and I think if that's all there is how pathetic We need something with eternal focus, something where the works of our hands have an eternal focus, a a heavenly perspective. Solomon had had reverted back to his his under-the-sun thinking, and it's very discouraging at best. And he says, who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Solomon again appears to be ignorant of a life lived with eternal focus. He appears as the natural man of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, oh, what verse is that? I don't think I wrote the verse down. Where it says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That's what Solomon sounds like. He's saying, you know, nothing better than man's hands, nothing better than what I can do, and who knows who's coming after me, what's going to happen of it. And then Solomon changes tunes for a moment as he goes into chapter 4. In chapter 4, he begins to look at the anguish of the oppressed man. So he's, he's, already, he's already basically laid out, hey, as good as it's going to get is the work of my hand. It's not going to get any better than that. Oh, and by the way, men live oppressed. And so it just gets, he just gets more and more discouraged as he goes. He says this, he says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. So Solomon goes into this little thing about the oppression of man. And he says, I consider the oppressed that that man lives a life oppressed and he sheds many tears. Now, we got to remember, folks, who Solomon was. Remember, he's the king. He's the wisest and wealthiest king that ever walked on the face of the earth. And he had servants galore, hundreds of them. Who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed? Solomon spent much time oppressing people. As a matter of fact, in a minute here we'll look at at his death. The people in the town came to his son and demanded grievance against Solomon for how he had oppressed them. For how he had made them work. For the lack of income he gave them. So he was oppressing us, but he comes to this point, he's like, he's like you know, there's, there's man that's oppressed, and, 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 and he, he spends his life in tears because he's oppressed. And then you have the oppressor, and boy, he's powerful, but, uh, but neither one has a comforter. And it's interesting, I think, that he uses that word, comforter, because that thought goes in complete contrast to the words of Christ. Because Jesus Christ, when he lived on this earth... He talked about a comforter. He talked about the fact that we can have peace in our life. We can live a life where we feel comforter. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, says If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye also see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I and my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. What does Jesus say? He says... I'm leaving you a comforter. You may have struggles in this world. You may feel oppressed by people in this world. You may feel discouraged by what's happening in this world. But Jesus Christ says, listen, I'm leaving you a comforter, the Holy Spirit to live in you, to indwell in you, and he will bring comfort to you. And we could say right away, well, Solomon didn't have the the gospel of John yet, so he wouldn't know that. Well, we get the same idea of teaching about comfort and protection and provision when it comes to God the Father. Turn over just for a second to Psalm 41, and Psalm 41 is a psalm of guess who again? David, Solomon's father. Notice what he says. He says, blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not not deliver him unto the will of of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it all that hate me whisper together against me <coughs> excuse me against me do they devise my hurt an evil disease say they cleaveth fast upon unto him and now that he lieth he shall rise up no more yea mine own familiar friend in whom i trusted which did eat of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me but thou o lord be merciful unto me and raise me up that i may requit them by this I know that thou favourest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in my integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So what does David say? David says, listen, even when the people that are my friends rise up against me, When they say he's down and he's down for the count, he's not getting up again, it's over. He says, even when my friends speak like that, he says, God is there to lift me up. That's what he says. See, Solomon's thinking is if you're oppressed, well, there's no hope for you. If somebody's against you, there's no hope for you. It's hopeless. That's Solomon's view. He has this horrible view of mankind. He has this horrible view of being oppressed by other people. And he says, basically, there's no hope. But his own father recognized there was hope. David recognized when my enemies and even my friends turn on me, there is hope. There is hope by trusting God. He says, Thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. Mine enemy doth not triumph over me. What encouraging verses for us as we go through life, as we go through the struggles in life. No matter what comes our way, the enemy will not win. What an encouragement that we have. Now, back over into Ecclesiastes. He says, so I returned and consider the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. What is Solomon's conclusion? He's so discouraged, here's his conclusion. It's better if people hadn't even been born. That's his conclusion. It's better for somebody to be dead or never been born than to live. What a horrible view of life. I don't know about you folks, I'm looking forward to spending eternity in heaven someday, but I'm not rushing to get there yet. I want to enjoy this life. God has promised to give us life on this earth, and he's promised to give it to us more abundantly. I love my life. I love my family. I have joy in this life, even through struggles. I don't want to hurry through it. But Solomon's like, it's just better if you've never even been born. It's better if you had just died. What a terrible thought. What a horrible viewpoint on life. And he expands on that in verse 3. Yea, better is he that, than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done on the sun. And that's where he gets into the birth part. It's better you, better you just never were born and have to live on this earth and see the evil all around you. Well, folks, I don't like the evil any more than anybody else, but I certainly am glad I'm living here today. I'm certainly glad I'm alive today. I'm certainly glad I can enjoy life today. I'm certainly glad I can be here in a fellowship with you all today. I'd much rather be here than in the grave. And, but Solomon's viewpoint is, it's just might as well have been better that I hadn't even been born, that I never even lived to see life on this earth. That's his viewpoint. What Solomon failed to grasp was the history of the nation of Israel. Many times, the oppression that they suffered was a result of their own sin. They suffered because they sinned. They suffered because they didn't have an eternal focus. They suffered because they didn't listen to the words of God. That's why they often suffered. It was God punishing the nation for their wickedness. Now, not all suffering we go through is punishment, folks, so don't quote me wrong on that. We sometimes just suffer because we suffer. God said, Jesus Christ in the New Testament said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But we're going to have tribulation. We all go through difficult times. I thought about that prayer list we prayed at the beginning today. I can't imagine what the Rochester family is going through with a a three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter that has cancer and may not survive. I've just been, it's, it's just made me sick ever since I knew that just to know that they're going through that, the struggle that that must be. I read a post that he posted when they, when they left the hospital after finding out that her cancer was the, like, most likely the one that has only a 70% survival rate compared to a 90, and he said, we left the hospital discouraged. I felt that discouragement for them because I can't imagine what they're going through right now. But folks, we suffer for different reasons. Sometimes nothing of our own doing, but many times because of our own doing. But the fact of the matter is, God is able. And he is able to see us through. And we don't need to look at life from the perspective of what Solomon perceives, where it's better if I'd never been born or better if I'd already died. That's not the perspective we want to take in this life. That takes us to point four today. The bittersweet fulfillment of man's accomplishments. So Solomon comes back. It's interesting to me, all through the book, he constantly comes back to the work of his hands. Have you noticed that? We've talked about that multiple times, and we're only into chapter four. Solomon keeps coming back. Why? Because he accomplished so much in his life by the work of his hands. I mean, he was brilliant when it came to accomplishing things by the work of his hands. But it's, it's troublesome to him. He keeps coming back to it, and and he he doesn't know what to do with it. And so he does the same thing in chapter 4 here. Notice chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, Again, I considered all travail and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness. Then both hands fall with travail and vexation of spirit. He says, listen, he says, I I went back and considered the work of man's hands and how man who works hard accomplishes something with his hands and then he is the envy of his neighbor who is lazy. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, you've worked hard, you've accomplished something, and now you're the envy of your neighbor because your neighbor's lazy. And he says, that's what? Vanity. It's emptiness. It's vexation of spirit. It's grasping at the wind. And then he goes on to describe, the. the he says, The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. That, that, that basically is the idea that the fool folds his hands together, does nothing, and literally brings ruin upon himself. That's what that verse is saying. Now, here, folks, now, again, this is one of those areas we've got to be careful of. If somebody is unable to work because they have a physical limitation, that's one thing. But for somebody who is healthy-bodied and able to work, the Bible tells us if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't what? He shouldn't eat. If you're not willing to put the labor in, you shouldn't get the joy of the labor coming out the other side. And so we're, we're taught here a principle, and that's that the fool folds his hand, does nothing, and basically brings ruin to himself. He brings ruin to himself. And then suddenly in verse 6, Solomon finds a little bit of godly perspective again. (laughs) Notice what he says. He says, better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. What is he saying? He's saying it's better in life to be content, to have one handful of something than to live in misery trying to have two hands full of something. That's a biblical perspective, folks. Contentment. Contentment. How content are we? Do we live in contentment? You know, in these these three verses, we learn three things. Uh, Guzik points these out in his commentary, so I want to give him the credit for these. These are not unique to me. Guzik in his commentary points out three aspects that Solomon gets in these, these three verses. Number one, hard work and success are good, and they are not to be envied. Hard work and success are good. Number two, laziness is wrong and destructive. And number three, we must learn to be content. Listen, folks, we don't live in an age of history where people are content. We are never content. We always want more. We always want better. We always want newer. We always, you know, we, we have been trained in our society to never be content with what we have. And folks, I'm just going to share a truth with you. Some of the happiest people I know in this world have almost nothing because they've learned to be content. There are some saints of God that I have known at the different churches I've lived in in my life that barely have, as the saying goes, two nickels to rub together. But they're happy because they've learned contentment and they're happy in the Lord. And so Solomon is teaching us in this passage as he finally goes back a little bit to a biblical perspective, a a, a perspective with eternity eternity in mind, we need to be content. And that takes us to our last point today just for a moment, verses 7 and 8 the vanity of hard work when done alone Solomon, then, then he's looking at man's work and he, and he says, it's better to be content. And then he says, then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. So yeah, yeah, It's so funny how quickly Solomon just changes gears. He, he, he's just talking about something with an eternal perspective. And then he says, then I returned and I saw vanity again. I saw this emptiness, this worthlessness again. What does he see that's empty? He says, there is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This also is vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. So now he takes the person who's living alone, the person who doesn't have a brother, doesn't have a child to pass things down to, and he said he keeps working and working. He's never satisfied, so he keeps working and working, and he gains all this stuff, and he he has nothing For anybody because there's nobody coming up after him to pass it along to but what perspective is Solomon missing couldn't he pass it along for the Lord's work couldn't he help something in the Lord's work aren't there people that have need aren't there ministries that have need See, Solomon goes back to this thinking where he's just thinking here on this earth, under the sun. I don't understand a person who's alone that has nobody. They just keep working, 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 and they never are satisfied, so they work harder. They got nobody to pass it on to. How about using it for the work of the Lord? How about using what we have for God's work? That's an eternal perspective. That's a heavenly perspective. But that's not the perspective that, uh, that Solomon has. He says, for whom do I labor and breathe myself good? This also is also his vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. It's a sore travail. Solomon's struggling, folks, back and forth, back and forth. And most of the time, he, he's thinking in a perspective that's just here on this earth. Nothing looking for eternity, nothing looking to God. But every once in a while, he gets these little glimpses where he turns to something of the Lord and makes some very profound statements. We're going to see that next week when we get a little bit further into chapter 4 here, where Solomon's going to come to some really good conclusions, even though most of the time he's thinking under the sun. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to the end of the message today. Folks, I think the takeaway from Ecclesiastes has got to be what perspective do I live my life from? Do I live my life from a perspective of it's just this life, I'm going to do what I can, I'm going to accomplish what I can, and that's all there is, and, and I'm done? Or do I live my life from a perspective of there's got to be more, there's something in the future, there's something in eternity, and I'm going to live my life in light of eternity? That's what we have to ask ourselves. What type of life, what, from what perspective am I approaching life? That's what we have to ask ourselves and that's what we have to know. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as Elizabeth plays this morning. We'll just wait for a moment. The altar's open if you need to spend time with the Lord. We'll give you just a moment to respond. You can sit right down at your pew and pray as well. We wait for just a moment this morning.